for a few minutes this morning about Easter's empty promises. Easter's empty promises. Author Philip Phillips Brooks wrote, Tomb, you shall not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope triumphant say, Christ will rise on Easter day. While the patient earth lies waiting, till the morning shall be breaking, shuddering beneath the burden dread of her master cold and dead. Hark, she hears the angel say, Christ will rise on Easter day. And when sunrise smites the mountains, pouring light from heavenly fountains, then the earth blooms out to greet once again the blessed feet, and her countless voices say, Christ has risen on Easter day, and I thank God that he did. Amen. I came across this story recently. It was told by Dear Abby in the newspaper in a response to someone's question. A young man from a very wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was a custom in that very affluent neighborhood for the parents to give the graduate an automobile. We're going to call this young man Bill. Bill and his father had spent months looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. On the eve of his graduation, his father handed him a gift-wrapped Bible. Bill was so angry that he threw the Bible down and stormed out the house. He and his father never saw each other again. It was only the news of the death of his father that brought Bill home again. And as he sat one night going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit, he came across that Bible that his father had given him. He opened it up only to find a cashier's check, dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. You see, his dad put his promise in that Bible, but Bill never opened it to find it. Probably because Bill thought that was the last place the fulfillment of his dad's promise would be. As I thought about this story, I couldn't help but wonder how many people here today have done the same thing to God. Literally tossed aside a wonderful promise because they didn't understand it or they didn't believe that it was possible. In our world, we are taught that if something sounds too good to be true, well, it probably is. So many of us have been taken in by so many different empty promises that we are leery of anything or anyone that tells us we can have something that will truly be satisfying and fulfilling. The world simply doesn't work that way. But... God does. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. The truth of the matter is that our world is full of empty promises. We watch the television set and the advertisements tell us 
that we can be happy, have a perfect pain-free body. We can be rich and even famous if we only purchase a certain product for $19.99. And if you order right now, we'll duplicate the order. It doesn't take long to realize that we've been fooled again and that the world's promises are full of emptiness. But with God, it is different. Instead of of promises full of emptiness, on Easter, He gave us emptiness that is full of promise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to say that again. Instead of promises full of emptiness, on Easter, He gave us emptiness that was full of promise. So this morning I would like to preach to you, present to you, have you think about it with me, the empty promises of Easter. As a matter of fact, there are three of them. Each promise is marked by something empty. An empty cross, an empty tomb, and empty burial clothes. It is the very fact that each of these is empty that assures us that God's promises are real and they're true and they can be believed. They can be lived and they can be trusted because they couldn't hold Jesus, because he couldn't be imprisoned by the cross, the tomb, and even his burial clothes. We can be sure of the fullness of God's promise in our lives. I want to begin today with the empty cross because the cross was empty. Because it was left empty. We have the promise of forgiveness of sin. I want you to take a trip back with me in the Bible about 2,000 years ago. Let's go back to that first Easter morning. It's early in the morning It's close to dawn. The sun, the Bible said, had not yet risen. A few of Jesus' followers who happened to be women were on their way to a tomb. It is the tomb where Jesus was buried. They had been walking now for about a half hour. The conversation is subdued. The task before them is a sad one. They are going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. As they come to the top of a rise in the path, they all stop for a moment. They're motionless, they're quiet, and they're all staring off into the distance. As you look with them, you look off perhaps to the right. Just outside the city stands a gruesome reminder of the events that just happened a few days ago. Do you see it? It's over there, silhouetted, silhouetted by the glow of the pink sky. On top of the hill, the locals called the skull or three crosses. Because of the Sabbath day, nobody had removed them. So there they stand as an empty reminder of the horror, of the horror of just three days ago. The one in the middle. That's the one I want all of you to see. That's the one that Jesus hung on. Take a close look 
at that cross. Look up at the top. Those blood stains are from the crown of thorns that was crushed into his skull. The stains on the ends of the crossbar, they came from the nails that were driven into his hands. The main beam, it was soaked in blood, blood from his back, blood that was bled when Romans beat him with a cat of nine tails. It also has stains from the blood that poured from his side when another Roman soldier ran a spear through his side to see if in fact he was dead and he was. Don't ever believe anyone who tells you that Jesus was just faking it, playing dead that day on the cross. There was no question. Jesus was dead. The soldiers knew it. The Romans knew it. The Jews knew it. The Romans later together came and made up a lie. They said the disciples stole his body. But can you imagine 11 disciples, four of them being fishermen, overpowering a company of Roman soldiers and then moving a two-ton stone and stealing away the body of Christ just so they could claim that he had come back to life and then be willing to die to protect such a lie? You see, Jesus really did die. And that is why I want you to see the cross this morning. It's the place where he died. But today that cross is empty. Empty of Jesus' body, but full of God's promise. Empty of his body, but full of promise. Full of hope. Full of forgiveness. Full of redemption. Full of reconciliation. Full of restoration. Full of life. Full of the hope for eternity. For everyone here today. For everybody here today. No one here today is excluded from that promise. God didn't lay down his life for everybody but you. He died for everybody. The promise of the empty cross is that you and I can stand forgiven with no condemnation. The promise of that empty cross is so that you and I can stand forgiven with no condemnation because it was on that cross that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Let's talk about sin. That's a word. That is, it's not, it's not that it's not popular anymore, but it's not even politically correct anymore. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that we have all sinned. Every one of us, you and me, the person sitting next to you, the Bible said that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, the only person who has ever lived a sinless life is the Lord Jesus himself. Everyone else has sinned. So here's the problem. The Bible said the wages of sin is death, 
It goes on to say the soul that sins shall die because we have sinned. We deserve God's just punishment. We deserve eternal death. However, when you look at that empty cross, it is a reminder of God's promise that we can be forgiven of all of our sin. I feel that spirit of resurrection here this morning. Brother Merrill, God is speaking to somebody, promise that you can be forgiven of sin past and sin present. You don't have to live in fear and in condemnation. Don't let the devil trick you with that lie that God can forgive all of your sin except one, except that bad one, except that one years ago. It is not so. It is not true because there's an empty cross that's stained with divine blood that says you're forgiven. You're forgiven. On that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. God's word tells us again that God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was on that cross that Jesus offered his perfect sinless life on behalf of each one of us, no one else. Not Moses, nor Abraham, nor David, nor Isaiah, nor Mohammed, nor Buddha. No one else has ever lived perfectly and then offered his perfect life for our redemption. And that is why the Bible tells us that there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Only Jesus has done that. Jesus breathed his last. He cried out, it is finished. The penalty was paid. On that cross, his blood was spilled for our redemption. Before that fateful day of crucifixion, God could open the books and look up each and every name of every person standing and sitting in this building right now and find these words, guilty. Guilty of sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, he literally transferred our debt of sin to himself, to his name. And on that day, across every name, he wrote in his blood, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. All they have to do is ask, forgiven. And all you have to do is ask. Forgiven. And all you have to do is ask. Forgiven. And all you have to do is ask. Somebody let the Spirit of God and the promise of the Word of God resurrect your dead spirit and infuse into you the hope and promise of glory. I'm here to tell you, he didn't do this to make a hero out of himself. He did it that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Somebody clap your hands.
because of that work Jesus did on that cross, you and I can now stand forgiven. So the first empty promise of Easter is the empty cross filled with a promise of forgiven sins. Let's go back to the ladies. After pausing briefly to view the cross, they continue on their way down the path to the tomb. And as they go, one of them no doubt wonders aloud, who will move the stone for us? They have good reason to be concerned. The stone that was placed in front of the tomb was no was, was a large boulder. It was no small thing. As I mentioned a moment ago, probably weighing upwards of two tons. Not only that, but the Romans had sealed it. So no one was allowed to move it without their permission. But against this tall mountain to climb, figuratively speaking, they continued their journey. Suddenly they felt the earth move under their feet. No doubt they were frightened. They looked at each other as they hunkered down a few moments, not certain what to do, but after a few minutes it seemed that the earth quit shaking and things went back to normal. So they would continue on their way. As they approached the burial site, they're still wondering about what had just happened with the earth shaking. And they came upon something even more remarkable. The soldiers around the tomb were all passed out unconscious. They didn't understand. What was even more remarkable is that stone in front of the tomb had been rolled away. And there was an angel sitting there glowing like lightning. Sitting there and listened to his words that he spoke to those women. Do not be afraid. For I know that you have come looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's not here. I don't know how long he paused between that statement and the next one that he was about to make, but had it been me, I think I'd have played with their head a few minutes. He ain't here. We just thought he was dead. But I don't think he could wait. The angel said, he's not here. He is risen. Jesus had risen. He was alive. And that tomb was empty. Someone wrote a song, and I think about it all the time. I heard it sung, I guess, in the late 60s. If God is dead, then who is this living in my soul? If God is dead, what is that unseen presence you have felt moving all over you this morning? I'm telling you, when those women went to the grave that morning to anoint his dead body, terrified of the soldiers, terrified of the earthquake that had just happened when he rose from the dead, and terrified on how they're going to move that stone, and they get there, and none of that has to be done. You can put your anointing oil away. You don't have to worry about the earthquake. Everything's cool with that. And there's dead people running around Jerusalem right now that you ain't even heard about yet because he resurrected. And there's an angel sitting there bright like lightning. He said, he's not. He's not here. 
In one gospel it says, Why have you come seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. I'm happy to proclaim to every man, woman, boy, and girl in this building today, it doesn't matter what kind of a hand that life has dealt to you, I'm here to preach to you today because he left behind an empty cross and he left behind an empty grave. He's full of promise. He's full of hope. He's full of redemption. He's full of resurrection. He's full of promise. And he can meet your needs. And he can meet your needs. And he can meet your needs. Somebody here today needs to open your mind and open your heart. Hey, there's a room full of people here right now that will tell you, I was down and out, man. I was destitute. The marriage was shot. The kids going in the wrong direction. I had no job. The devil was ripping my life apart. But I found Jesus. I found Jesus and all the promises he made have come to pass in my life. He saved me. He healed me. He delivered me. He forgave me. He set me free. Hallelujah to God. Is there anybody today rejoicing? Hallelujah. Let me tell you a story about a little boy named Philip. This is to be a true story. Philip was that little boy that never felt like he belonged. Everywhere he went, he was always the outsider. He was pleasant enough, but he looked a bit different and sometimes seemed real unusual to his eight-year-old classmates. In his Sunday school class, several weeks before that Easter Sunday, Philip's teacher introduced a special project for his eight-year-old kids. He gave every member in his class a plastic egg that you can break apart. They passed him out this morning. He explained that each child was to go outside and find a symbol for new life, a symbol that represented new life and put it into that egg so real enthusiastically all the class responded. Back in the classroom the eggs were opened one at a time with each child explaining the meaning of the symbol of life on the inside of that egg. And the first egg was a pretty flower and the next egg was a beautiful butterfly while green grass was in a third. The children ooed and odd, and, and another was a rock which prompted loud laughter, and finally the last egg was open, and on the inside of it there was nothing. That's stupid, one of the kids said. Another child grumbled and said, somebody didn't do it right. The teacher felt a tug on his shirt, and it was Philip. Philip said, that's mine, that's my egg, and I did do it right. It's empty because the tomb is empty. There was an unusual, thoughtful silence in the class, and strangely from that time on, Philip was accepted as a part of that little eight-year-old group. Philip continued to struggle with many physical problems, and that summer he picked up an infection that most children would have easily shaken off, but Philip's weak body couldn't, and a few weeks later, Philip died. At his funeral, nine eight-year-olds 
along with their teacher, brought their symbol of remembrance and placed it near his coffin. Their unusual gift of love to Philip wasn't flowers, but it was an empty egg. Now a symbol to them of the new life that was waiting on Philip and the hope that it extended to his family. It was Philip, the different child, who had helped his friends see the wonderful hope and the message of Easter. For in the fact of the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection of Christ and the promise to every one of us that we too will be raised to eternal life. To those who know Jesus, death has lost its sting. I want to trumpet that to the Swallow family this morning. I shared that with Brother Troy the other night on the phone. I want to trumpet that to these people. She has only died to live again and to live again forevermore. It's a promise of the resurrection. Only an empty tomb can give you some promise like that. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life and he that believeth on me shall have everlasting life. Somebody has to believe that today. We must believe it. Jesus gave too much, sacrificed too much, and came triumphantly out of a grave so that we can be free and that we may have hope. Praise God. Praise God. Death is no longer something to be feared. By the child of God. What fear is there when we have the promise of one day living forever with Him? A father and son were traveling down a country road on an afternoon in the springtime, the windows down, enjoying the breeze, when suddenly a bumblebee flew into the window. Being deathly allergic to bee stings, the little boy began to panic. As the bee buzzed and hummed all around inside the car and seeing the horror on his child's face, the dad reached out and caught the bee in his hand. And in a few minutes he opened his hand again and the bee began to buzz around once again and again the boy began to panic. And the father reached over to his son and opened his hand showing him the stinger of that bee still in his palm. He said, relax son, I took the sting and the bee can't hurt you anymore. The empty tomb is God's way of saying, just relax. I took the sting, and death can't hurt you no more. I took the sting. I took the sting. I took the sting. Why was the tomb empty? Why was it empty? It wasn't because somebody stole his body away and came up with some convoluted story. His tomb is empty because he's alive. You have to believe that here this morning. The angel said, he is risen. And the promise to us is that we too can live. Even if we die, we will live again. And so the empty tomb is the second promise of Easter. The empty cross gives to us forgiveness. The empty tomb gives to us eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. There's one more promise I want you to know about Easter. And it's the promise of empty burial clothes. And no doubt when I introduced that earlier, some of you kind of 
your eyebrows met over the middle of your nose trying to figure out what does that mean. Back in those days, they'd take a body and practically, literally mummify them, wrap them so tight, it's, it's ace bandages to the exponent of a million. You couldn't move, you couldn't do anything. Everybody's seen the mummy. That's what they did. Let's go back to our story. After the angel had spoken to the women, they immediately went back to the little place where the apostles were hidden and reported what had happened. Now, it's a little hard to believe, I know, and I'm going to give the disciples a lot of benefit of the doubt. If they had come told me that, I'd look at them like they were crazy too. But somehow or another, they convinced at least Peter and John now this is against the backdrop of telling Jesus telling them that he would rise from the dead. But at least Peter and John got the message. And they immediately raced back to the tomb to see it for themselves. And when they got there, John stopped just outside the tomb, but Peter ran on in, carrying a huge burden of condemnation that he had just denied the Lord three times. So he went in the tomb. And it didn't take him very long to realize that that tomb was just the way the women had described it. It was empty. I hope this is resonating with somebody here today. But that's not all. It's not that it was just empty. And to me, this is one of the most incredible parts of the story of the resurrection. It's one thing for... God to roll away that two-ton stone in front of the sepulcher and Jesus walk out of it resurrected to new life. But do you understand he was wrapped tight, buddy, in burial clothes. He was buried to become mummified, to try to control disease and decay and all of that and to keep it in one spot. Such an Egyptian ritual from years, years gone past. But when Peter walked in, he just didn't see an empty tomb. The Bible is very clear, man. And I'll be honest with you, I can't get my head around it. Jesus came out of those burial clothes, but they looked to Peter like he was still in it. The best way I know to describe it is any of you who ever wanted to get up real early and in the morning or whatever or be told to go to bed at night and you didn't want to and so you put pillows under the covers and so your parents will walk in there and it looks like you're in the bed. It's the best way I know to describe it. To them, to Peter, Jesus' body should have still been in it. These clothes were wrapped up. I mean, you come out of these burial clothes, they should collapse, right? But they didn't. Only the piece of cloth they put over his face was setting off to the side. So even if you wanted to steal his body, you either take the burial clothes with you or you unwrap them and leave them in a pile on the floor. But you just don't slide a body out of burial clothes especially when they're bloody and they're stuck. 
You just don't come out that easy. So if they were pondering an empty tomb and doubting the ladies that came and told them the tomb was empty, Peter had a whole scenario here to try to figure out. I don't know who had the audacity to break that Roman seal, but I'm going to tell you what. These burial clothes don't make any sense to me, man. I can kind of see the rest. I believe Jesus left those burial clothes like that so that no one could believe. It's impossible to believe that he was stolen away. How are you going to leave burial clothes all puffed up like a body still in it, but it's not? And over the next 40 days, Jesus would appear to over 500 people over the next 40 days. He would sit down and talk to them. The Bible said on at least three occasions he met with the disciples and gave them commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God. He walked with them. Don't you remember the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? And Jesus just, and was there. And they looked at him and didn't even recognize him. He talked with them. He ate with them. Resurrected from the dead. Three days ago had been beaten to death literally. But actually he didn't die of his beating. He died of suffocation. So his body inside and outside should be completely destroyed and he walks out of the grave three days later like nothing happened. And he starts walking around talking to people and appearing in all these kind of crazy places and the disciples was all locked up in a room one time after he resurrected and scared to death and they wouldn't even let Jesus in so he came through the wall. He resurrected and showed and he set a precedent that as much as you can fellowship with me before crucifixion you can certainly fellowship with me now that I'm resurrected you see the promise of empty burial clothes just said one thing and that he is alive and that Jesus wants to fellowship with you today he wants to give you forgiveness of sin he wants to give you the hope of eternal life and he wants to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother what can be wrong with that what can be wrong with that I feel inspired to say this morning just real quickly in passing will your nicotine habit do that for you does your alcohol habit do that for you does your drug habit do that for you? I'm talking to somebody right now. There's people here today that's living under the shroud of doubt that God can even forgive my sin, period. Does that mean anything to you? Out of this room full of people that's, that's gone through all the stuff you're going through now and they've come out better than they've ever been before because of the promises that Easter gives to all of us, does that mean anything to you? Why is it that we want to take a Bible chock full of promise from our Heavenly Father and get angry and toss 
it aside. Why don't you open it up? And just see what's on the inside of it. Think about it. The cross couldn't hold him. The tomb couldn't contain him. The burial clothes weren't were, were unnecessary because Jesus is alive and he has skin and bones and a face that was recognizable. He talked, he touched, he loved, he healed. He, he did it the day of his resurrection. And I'm happy to tell you that he still does that today. And most importantly, he wants to do that with you. He's been with me for the past week, man. He's been with me for the past year and the past months and the past life. As a matter of fact, I'm happy to tell somebody here today, he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's never lied to me. He's never betrayed me. He's never kicked me to the curb. He has always been a friend. So when we started the service today with the elder black minister of yesterday proclaiming to us those awesome words that he is king let me ask you today do you know him do you know him I want to ask you this morning this very important question do you know him I don't mean today do you know about him I mean, do you truly know Jesus? You see, we can know about someone. We can know about Bobby Jindal. We can know about Barack Obama. We can know about Joe Biden. We can know about Peyton Manning. You can know about Michael Jordan. Most of us will never know the people that I just named. But I want to introduce to you one that is more powerful and life-changing than all of them. And you can know him. You can know Jesus. You can know his love, his care, his healing, his forgiveness. He says, as a matter of fact, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and, and will dine with him and he with me, it's been nearly 2,000 years ago since he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. That first Easter Sunday as the women went to the grave, they had no idea what was about to happen to them. They were not yet aware of the wonderful promises of that day. Off in the distance stood an empty cross, the promise of sin forgiven. At the end of their journey was an empty tomb, the promise of eternal life. Inside the tomb were empty burial clothes, the promise that they would once again have a close and endearing relationship with God himself. The promises that they discovered that day, you can discover them today. You can know about the freedom of forgiven sin. You can know the promise of eternal life. And you can know Jesus as a friend that stays closer than a brother. I believe it's John Maxwell that tells a story about a blazer, a suit jacket that he bought at the very famous 
department store called Nordstrom. He said, I bought a new navy blazer at Nordstrom. It was one of those cases you may have gone through where you buy an item of clothing and the more you wear it, the more you realize you don't like it. You all stand with me this morning. I don't know if any of you have ever bought clothes like that, but I have. As a matter of fact, I'm not real sure that I'm not wearing some right now. But Maxwell said my blazer wasn't the right color. And to make it worse, it attracted lint like it was going out of style. And after wearing it pretty regular for six months or so, he said I stuck it in my closet and I didn't wear it again for a long time. Tucked away in the back of my mind, he said, all the while was that famous Nordstrom unconditional return policy. I thought I've had this thing for a year and a half. I've wore it lots of times, and there just there's no way that Nordstrom will take it back. But he said at the time of the writing, he said about two weeks ago, I decided I had nothing to lose. I pulled the blazer out of the closet. He said, I threw a lot of lint on it to make it look bad. And I took it down to Nordstrom's, to the men's department. He said, I walked in and immediately I felt nervous. I felt like I was about to pull some kind of a scam of some sort. But he said, I played it straight. I walked up to the first salesman that I saw and gave him this little prepared speech. He said, I'm about to put your famous unconditional return policy to its ultimate test. I have here a blazer. I've worn it quite a bit, and I've had it for about a year and a half. I don't like it. It's the wrong color, and it attracts lint like it's going out of style. But I want to return this blazer for another blazer that I like. Handed the man the jacket. And he said, then I just stood there. He said, I couldn't believe it. He said, this salesman with a big handlebar mustache just looked at me and shook his head. He said, for heaven's sake, man, what took you so long? Let's go find you another blazer. Ten minutes later, I walked out with another blazer that was marked $75 more than I had paid for the one that I brought in. It was perfect for me, and it didn't cost me a dime. In a small way here this morning, the men's department at Nordstrom Department Stores, kind of like God, they're willing to back up their promise. I think at Easter, more than any other time of the year, we realize that God has made all sorts of outlandish promises. So outlandish that some of us cannot bring ourselves to believe it. Or can we? Is anybody here this morning just tired of living an empty life full of empty promises? Anybody here this morning tired of that? This morning we've heard about three promises that God has made to us. Actually, the Bible records over 7,500. I've only given you three. The promise of sins forgiven. The promise 
of eternal life and the promise of a real personal relationship with Christ. My question to you this morning is this. Will you take him at his word as so many others in this room have done? If you're open to that, then listen to this final promise as found in Acts chapter 2. If you'll repent of your sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus, he will fill you with that beautiful gift of his spirit. So let me ask you this morning. If you've never accepted God's promises for your life, He's waiting, and he's probably wondering, for heaven's sake, what has taken you so long? I don't want you to wait another day. I want you to accept the promise of God today. There's resurrection for somebody's life here this morning. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your job. There's hope for your kids. There's hope for your parents. There's hope. As long as God is alive, there's hope. There is hope. While Casey is playing softly, those of you that were here this past Wednesday night in conclusion, if you were here this past Wednesday night and uh, our missionary brother Joe Cooney went and got you out of the crowd, if he went, there's people here today, he went to you and said, I want you to come up here. If you're here this morning, I want you to come back up here. You're the reapers. Thank you for your cooperation and participation. Y'all just stop, stand back just a little bit. Brother Don, I want you to bring your bride up here this morning. We're going to, I want to pray for her this morning that God will continue to strengthen her body. I feel the spirit of resurrection. Y'all do whatever you need to do. We'll wait just for a moment. There's some other people here this morning. I could call your name very easily and say, why don't you come up here and let God breathe new life into your old one. Let God minister to you this morning. Let him minister to you this morning. She knows she's coming. Is there anybody else? Let God, let God do something fantastic here this morning. Thank you, Lord. Brother Donald, peel off one of those chairs and bring it up here, sir, if you would, for her to sit down in it. I feel what Brother Merrill felt a few moments ago. There's a spirit of resurrection here today. God wants to make a difference in somebody's life. You want to leave here today. You're going to leave here today with more than an Easter egg full of candy. You're going to leave here today with a hope and a promise like you've never had before in your life. If somebody will open your heart to it, open your mind to it, and just believe it. Just believe it. Just believe it. Anybody else? Anybody else? You want to believe it? Just try it. Just try to believe it this morning and see what happens. Just try. Come on. That's right. You can come on. Come on. Just step out on faith and see what happens. Just step out in faith and see what happens. Thank the Lord. I know this is Easter Sunday, but hey, this is a God moment right now. Why don't you, why don't you head this way and we're going to pray for you in a few moments and you're going to see God do something amazing. Praise the Lord. You're going to see God do something amazing. Praise the Lord. There's people talking about it right now. You want to go? You want to go? You want? Why don't you come on? Come on and see what God will do this morning as Casey begins to sing softly. I want to invite everybody.
Everybody, I want you to come. And we're going to pray the prayer of faith. You fellas, get a bottle of oil. There's some people I want you to anoint today. And we're going to pray the prayer of faith. And God is going to resurrect hope. He's going to resurrect promise. He's going to resurrect all the great things that He promises in His Word in your life today. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. In the name of Jesus, somebody just start receiving it right now. Go ahead. Just begin to receive. Receive from the Lord right now. Receive it. Go ahead, God. My heart's open. God, my mind is open. God, I'm open to this right now. God, I want you to work. I want you to work. I want you to work right now. God, I'm asking you to work. Everybody in the building, pray. Everybody begin to pray. Everybody begin to call on God right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus.